been taking the time to do, thinking about life, namely, uh, what is it all about? And I mentioned to you that we're not the first to do it, a famous predecessor engaged in the experience of trying to find meaning in life, and his name, as you know, was Solomon. And he did a very diligent work, a very systematic and well-orchestrated study of life so as to fill the void in his own life. Quite amazing to think that the then perhaps richest man in the world, perhaps most powerful, surely the wisest, still was empty on the inside. And so he searched all over to try to fill the void in his life. And he used the um, rather dismal expression oft used in the book he wrote, Ecclesiastes. Uh, He used the phrase, under the sun. And by this he meant his uh, confined existence in this life which was a closed system holding him captive. He couldn't get out of it, and no help from the outside could enter into it. Uh, When he spoke about life under the sun, he really meant that which was visible. He had no concept of ultimate realities, spiritual realities. And he said the person who is left only with what his senses tell him about life, what he could see and what he could hear, what he could touch, is left with this conclusion. It's all futility. And that's the term he used, vanity or futility. In fact, he said it's, it's, uh, life is futility of futilities. He tried so many things, and he used the expression that it was all like chasing the wind, a poetic expression which really communicates the futility of the exercise. The wind seems real and concrete, quite powerful, but when you come up to it and try to attach yourself to it, you find it has uh, vanished. There's nothing to it. So Solomon was quite distressed and yet didn't, to his credit, give up. He kept pressing on because there were some possibilities, I suppose, yet to be explored by him in his quest for meaning and purpose in life. He came to the conclusion thus far in his journey that life under the sun was empty and meaningless. There was no purpose to it. Uh, you couldn't comprehend life. And, and therefore, since it was all an exercise in futility, uh, the best a man or woman could do in life under the sun is try to squeeze out of it all uh, the good feelings, all the pleasure that one could possibly get. Since things were so bad, concluded Solomon, the best a person could do is to do whatever he can in order to make himself feel uh, for the short time he has here on earth in order to make himself feel just as happy as he can. Solomon, as you know, had plenty of resources with which to engage in this experiment. I mean, he had the best, uh, the most of what the world then had to offer. He could lay his hands on every worldly pleasure. He was able to spare no expense. He had no limitations whatsoever, and this he did. In fact, his, uh, I suppose, motto might have been at the time, if it feels good, I'm going to do it, because nothing else makes any more sense than simply to experience as much gratification as you possibly uh, can. And so this is what he did. In fact, he said... 
I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. Hmm. So he tried absolutely everything because he was desperate to find satisfaction. It wasn't so much that he was um, a hedonist, he became one, uh, but it was that he was trying to make sense of life and maybe he said since it can't be comprehended and since wisdom and philosophy wasn't giving him a sense of why he was here, therefore maybe he should just do his best at pleasing himself in an unbridled way, giving into sensual passions there, there, uh, that he could come to grips with, that he was aware of, why not just experience the full gamut of passions in an unbridled way. And so this wealthy, successful, prominent, and wise man was flat out empty. He had no experience with peace on the inside. And so he gave himself, as he did everything, with no holds barred, to the boundless pursuit of pleasure in an attempt uh, to capture some peace within. And what did he conclude at the conclusion of his experiment? His pursuit of pleasure? He said, and behold, it too was futility. Even the pursuit of pleasure, said he, was an exercise in futility. Life under the sun, life on earth, life confined to the visible only, life defined by one's material, non-spiritual existence, uh, one defined by one's here and now with no concept of eternity, that kind of life is characterized by sheer and utter futility. These are his precise words about the subject. I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? It's not that it's sinful to laugh, but if you think about it, a laugh is just an unusual noise. It interferes with the harsh reality of life, but all too briefly. And in a moment, the laughter gives way to this terrible sense of a void in one's life. Uh, the laughter is an attempt to rise above, but it's an exercise in futility. And so too, says he, is the pursuit of pleasure. What does it ultimately accomplish when the humorous sitcom comes to an end, when the stand-up comedian sits down, what are you left with except this loud voice which only you hear and which tells you something is terribly absent from your life? You have not found a reason to be. You don't know where you came from. You don't know why you're here. And you surely don't know where you're going. You think you just die, period, end of story. You're confined to this cycle of life which repeats itself endlessly. There are births and there are deaths. And then we live in between the two. And so what? Laugh upon occasion, if you will, try to distract 
yourself from your despair, but really, you're only fooling yourself. You know the reality. As soon as you stop laughing, you're going to be on the verge of crying. And on the inside, that's what you're really doing. So I read this, and I thought, well, yeah, but maybe Solomon didn't do such an exhaustive study of the world's pleasures. Maybe he's missed something. No, I don't think that's it. See, he said, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Mm. He did an exhaustive study. There was nothing imaginable that he didn't experience. He did not read all about it. He engaged in all things, all sensual pleasures known to humankind. He had access to everything out there. He was wealthy beyond measure. Every pleasure on earth, don't you see, was within his reach. He grabbed onto it all. He examined, he experienced every kind of sensual passion in an unbridled manner. He threw caution to the wind because he was desperate, you see. Desperation drives you to it. He was on a quest for meaning. Thought that if it felt good, maybe, if it felt good enough, that which he was experiencing, maybe that would validate his short span of time here on earth. Maybe that would fill the void in his life. And so... He made a deliberate effort at exploring the pleasures of life. And here's an example. He said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. He didn't impulsively fall into this. He set his mind upon it. He thought about what means of pleasurable stimulation might work for him, might give him peace, might replace the pain he was experiencing with a measure of pleasure. And so he began with wine, with, with alcohol, and this, it says, he explored. You know, folks, God is no killjoy. It's not that God doesn't want us to experience pleasure and joy, but God made us to experience his blessings. He didn't make us to explore our own passions. There's a big difference. So in this case, Solomon was doing the latter. He had not yet learned to receive from God, who is not under the sun. He's outside the circle of earthboundedness. He didn't know yet how to call upon him for help and how to be a receiver of blessings that mattered. And so he was forced to explore his own passions. And so the first thing he did was to try to medicate himself so as to take away the pain of the awful sense of meaninglessness in life. Who am I? Why am I here? Does anyone care? So he tried to anesthetize the pain with alcohol. Don't you think our world seems to be on a mad quest for the same we're not reading ancient irrelevant history here, are we? We are reading about something that's an accurate evaluation of 
sociology today. The whole society we live in seems to be on a mad quest for satisfaction and peace within. Now, I think it's because the absence of self-satisfaction inevitably leads to a quest for self-gratification. So the theme of the day is get all the gusto. If it feels good, do it, you say. But this, said Solomon, is an exercise in futility. And so after trying to induce on his own an altered state of consciousness through wine, well, it was time for women in song. And so that's what he did, wine, women, and song. He said, I provided uh, for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. There it is, wine, women, and song, and yet... No peace within, you see. He had plenty of all of the above. The Bible tells us 700 wives were his. And not only that, in case that got to be a little boring, he had 300 girlfriends on the side. 300. Do the math. But it didn't work. To put it mildly, it, 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 it didn't work. And here's one of the reasons why the pursuit of pleasure is, in fact, such an exercise in futility. The enjoyment of any form of pleasure diminishes over time so that what worked at the beginning of the experience ceases to work quite as well. And that forces the pleasure seeker to have to intensify the intake of the pleasure, not to feel more pleasure, but to simply recapture the same degree of pleasure there was at the beginning. If you have or are now struggling with alcohol or drugs, you know what I'm talking about. You start out with what some call a gateway drug. It might even be cigarettes or marijuana. It's a gateway drug. It loses its capacity to please you because you develop what's called a tolerance for it. And so then you have to add to it. So you have to go on from it. To, there's no Record of anyone in the history of humankind who has smoked pot and stayed with it alone. Not one. Show me that person. Not one. It's a gateway. There's no such thing as a person who drinks to anesthetize the pain who doesn't have to increase the intake of the alcohol, not to feel better, but just to keep from feeling bad, because what little once gave you a sense of relief doesn't do anything now but keep you from shaking. So that's the futility of pleasure-seeking. I just used as illustration drugs and alcohol, but add to it what you want. Physical stimulation, overeating, compulsive buying and spending, uh, uh, um, unbridled sexual encounters, uh, internet pornography, 
There is no such thing as someone who dabbles in internet pornography because what gave a sense of recreation and relief to begin with has to be intensified just to recapture the same feeling one had at the beginning. And when that happens, this is interesting, the pleasure thing seeker began to regulate the intake of pleasure, but now the pleasure is regulating him. You see it? The pleasure seeker who's empty under the sun, who has a gaping hole on the inside that has not been filled thus far, tries to do it with a particular form of pleasure. He chooses it. He thinks he has control over over it, but it soon comes to have control over him. That's the futility of pleasure-seeking to find meaning and purpose in life. So you used to have mastery over it, but now you are enslaved to it. In other words, you're addicted. And I'll tell you what happens to the person uh, who becomes a pleasure-seeking addict. The... um, pleasure that you're addicted to pulls you into itself to such an extent that while it is pulling you in, your focus is on it. You are at the same time being pulled away from everything else, namely relationships. So inevitably, for the addicted, habitual pleasure seeker, relationships fail. Families, marriages will fall apart. Uh, 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 The addiction owns the person. The pleasure seeker has surrendered his soul to this false deity. And it exacts quite a price. I'll have your life. When that happens, as the person is pulled away from everything else in life, the person becomes increasingly isolated, focused on this particular form of, of pleasure only. And then here's what happens. On top of the emptiness which drove the person to it, now that the person is mastered by it, uh, that person on top of the emptiness is now experiencing an increasingly intense sense of guilt and shame. Guilty! Not spending time with spouse, not spending time with children, withdrawing from relationships, not producing at work, um, running into financial problems and all the rest. So on top of the emptiness, look at the futility of the pursuit of pleasure as a means of finding meaning in life. Please don't misunderstand. It's not that God doesn't want us to be pleased with the things he has given, but he wants that to be as gifts which come as part of and parcel of the relationship with him. But if we're leaving him out of the equation and on a quest for the exploration of pleasure, apart from him, that's what Solomon says is futility. It's an exercise in futility. So, so, so the person who is empty, and now let's add to the emptiness this terribly um, unresolvable sense of guilt. And the guilt adds to the pain. And what does the person do when the person is in pain? The person seeks to replace the pain with the pleasure. So the, um, the, the pain of that person's guilt 
drives this terrible, addictive cycle again. First, the person got into it just to sample some pleasure, some relief from the emptiness of life. Now it has a hold on that person. And as it does, the person says, look what I've done. Look who I've become. I feel so guilty and ashamed, but I don't like the feeling of guilt. Therefore, I have to anesthetize the guilt by continuing the drinking or the drugging or the overeating or the compulsive shopping or the promiscuity or whatever it is. You see, it's attempt an attempt by a person to increase pleasure and decrease pain. And all along, it's just under the sun, it's futility. God, the vertical dimension, don't you see, is left entirely out. All you're left with is chasing after wind. Try to do it. It's an exercise, you see, in futility. Don't take my word for it. Take Solomon's. He was in a better position. Look at all that he had in the uh, way of pleasure. And look to his grand conclusion, futility of futilities. It is all empty. It is all futility. Solomon indulged his passions without any limitation. And Solomon had no peace within. Folks, it is not possible. It is not possible to have peace in life if one does not have peace with God, the giver of life. It is not possible to have peace in life if one is not at peace with God, who is the giver of life. Some people out there of notoriety who have access to unbridled pleasures Sometimes some of us are jealous of the lifestyle. Don't be. It's futility. They have to continue to heap upon themselves one partner after another, one purchase after another, one medication after another. It is an exercise in futility. I'm telling you. It is not possible to have peace in life if one is not at peace with the giver of life. That's a truth. The pursuit of pleasure is an exercise in futility because pleasure has only immediate value. Of course it feels good. That's why we do it. But pleasure only has immediate value. It has no ultimate value. At the end of the pleasurable experience, what are you left with? What has it accomplished? What has it produced that is of permanent value and worth? Nothing. Solomon said nothing. It's an exercise in futility. It feels good while you do it. Eat, drink, and be merry while death stares you in the face. It's a fleeting experience with pleasure. But what does it accomplish? What are you left with except with this habitual compulsion to intensify the volume of pleasure just to sustain yourself in life. 
Voltaire was an infidel, an anti-God, anti-religious French philosopher. He made this rather interesting statement. He said, the pursuit of pleasure must be the goal of every rational person. No, it's not true. Just consult Solomon. I'll tell you what's true. Turning to the God who is pursuing you must be the goal of every rational person. I pursued, says he, I came that you might have abundant life. That you might not be locked in this closed circle of earth boundedness wherein you have access only to material realities available to your senses, but where you can be lifted in your soul to realities above the sun, things of eternal consequence, where you can know me even now and taste of eternal life. It doesn't make sense to do what Voltaire did. A rational, reasonable person concludes you're not self-generating. You're not self-sustaining. You didn't get here on your own and you can't survive on your own. Someone is responsible for your being. That person is your creator. And that creator has pursued you in a very visible and concrete way. He pierced this under the sun reality. He entered this space-time dimension, though he be timeless. He came to be impaled on a cross so that we could have visible proof of a pursuing God who would lift us from the malaise of life under the sun. Could I give you a simple invitation? Why not stop the mad futility of pursuing pleasure now and instead? Why not turn to the God who is intent on pursuing you? A rational person doesn't run away from a rescuing, redeeming God who can invade our lives and so occupy the territory that we're filled to the overflow with a sense of who we are created into his very image, a sense of why we're here to enjoy him and tell others about him. A sense of where we're going. To dwell with him in mansions. Even now being fashioned for us. And so as to have an eternal face to face relationship. With the God who is not under the sun. But with the God who made the sun. And sent the sun. S-O-N. To rescue us. From mad pursuits. Of pleasure. Looking for meaning in all the wrong places. When Jesus said, I already came. That you might have life. Oh, let me describe it, said he. And that it might be for you abundant. Full, not empty. Meaningful, not vain and futile. If you leave here. Having left that God behind, 
you will run out of answers to the question, life, what is it all about? I beseech you, therefore, let's pursue the discussion about life and its meaning and the giver of life and how you could connect with him. All you have to do is fill out one of the cards in front of you. It's a good way for you because it doesn't require that you be embarrassed in any way. All you have to do is fill it out legibly, completely. Make a note indicating what's on your mind and we will contact you on your terms, privately, discreetly, to talk about what you know you're struggling with. Why am I here? Why is it such a struggle? Why does it look so meaningless? Why do I have such little comprehension about the thing called life? Who is God? Where is he? Does he love me? How could he when I hurt so much? Could he have me when I have violated even my own standards, let alone his? These are big questions, good questions. There are good answers. Fill out a card before you leave. Give it to me or put it in one of the boxes and we shall contact you. Now I'm going to pray you do that very thing. Do you mind? Let me pray. Lord Jesus. It would be a waste of time if all that happened is that we gathered together. No, we could meet at other places. Lord, something is at stake here when we sing words of truth and when we speak words from your word. What's at stake is of eternal consequence. So I pray you come upon the one, the two, the three. I don't know who's in life but has no idea what it's about. And I pray that person would so be able to realize the despair that that person would be moved to take the very next rather easy step of indicating so on a card so that we could enter into relationship and try to work through the despair. Lord Jesus... You're the way, aren't you, out from under the sun? Uh, you're the way, aren't you, to a full and meaningful life? You're the way whereby we can find a sense of purpose here. Perish the thought that one would take this casually, your invitation, your coming, your descent from above the sun, under the sun, to lift those of us who are trapped under the sun to heavenly realities so I pray as only you can you would stir up the ones here who still yet are left with this hole, this void which can be filled really easily by you move that person to fill out a card discreetly deposited in one of the boxes so that we could have contact now enough of that, Lord Jesus. We would be remiss if we didn't say thank you for coming. What would we do without you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.